Welcome to the Freedom Fridays Project podcast. I'm Pete Clark, your host, The Whispers Guy. It appears that work expands to the time that we give it, and I started to explore how I was investing my time and effort, particularly on Fridays. It's evolved to an explanation and experiment with time, energy, attention and identity, and a mindset shift from I have to to I choose to. So if you're interested in exploring some changes to the way that you invest your time and your energy, if you'd like some tips on the way as you make some changes perhaps to your identity, if you would like the freedom of I choose to away from I have to, then this is the podcast for you. So welcome to the Freedom Fridays Project podcast. So welcome to this week's podcast, Freedom Fridays about bringing more life to your years, moving from I have to to I choose to. Although if you've listened to previous podcasts, you'll know that sometimes some of my guests flip that, which is cool. And and this week I've I've got an, a, a buddy who I've known for a long, long time. And surprisingly, she's now back close to me location wise. But that's going to be part of our story. So I'd like to introduce you to Anna. Hey, Anna, how are you doing? Good, Pete. How are you? Well, we're in lockdown. In lockdown. It's as good as can be, right? We're doing okay. I think, as you said prior to our conversation, surviving, not necessarily thriving, and that's okay. Um, And I thank you for your time. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation for a number of reasons. And I start usually with the big question. You know, Freedom Fridays was designed to help people go from a big change to something different, almost like from I have to to I choose to. What's your big change? I think, Pete, probably the biggest change I've experienced in the last, well, let's call it 18 months, was walking out of my flat in London, uh, closing the door, heading to Australia for my standard six, eight weeks of Christmas holiday. And, you know, I've been living in London for, I moved to London in 2003, and I moved there for job and live there for work and my plan was I'll just do a couple of years here and then I'll go home to Australia and I am very much Australian and I've always thought that I'd like to grow old in Australia like I I kind of feel like that's where I was going to retire but I also always always remember describing Australia a little bit like a lobster pot do you know know what a lobster pot looks like yes yeah lobster crawls in and hey bingo guess what so I was always always feeling like if I came back, then it would be really hard to get out. And, you know, I lived in the UK in my early 20s and came back to Australia. And then I got out again and went to New York. I lived in New York for a while and then I went to London. And I suppose that when I left the flat, December 2019, um, it was yet again that sort of, you know, I used to cry on the plane all the way to Australia and then I'd cry on the plane all the way back to, to the UK. So I was always living this kind of double life. So when I was in the UK, I was because I'm very big on being present. So it's not about the future. It's not about the past. It's like what's happening right now. And so when I was in the UK, I was very much in the UK and I loved it. And I had a great pipeline of clients and great friends and, you know, it's a great place to be doing what I was doing. But I always had this like dreadful homesickness that used to every now and again creep out. So 
have always been in this dilemma. Where should I be? Where should be I, where should I be investing my time? Where should I be investing my time in clients and more importantly in friendships? Um, so I left 2019 going, okay, I'm just going to go home for six weeks. And it's interesting. I even refer to it as home. Yeah. Although I've spent more time living abroad than I have living in Australia, which is kind of kooky. I mean, look at you. You're, you're from up there and you've spent more time here than I have, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, and so then I think when the pandemic started to really surface, I was like, mm, maybe, maybe this is something. And interestingly, I kind of apologized to the world and say, I'm really sorry that I had to cause a global pandemic to force me to stay in Australia. And I think it felt very much at the beginning. And I think that first 2020 was really rocky for me. Like, yeah. you know, you, you know, you, you and I do the work that we do in order to do the work that we do. You have to be robust yourself. Yep. You have yeah. to be on top of your game. If you are looking to do what we do for others, you kind of got to be okay yourself. You've got to be thriving yourself in order to, to work with other people. And I, I kind of all through 2020 kept thinking, man, you know, I'm going to burst into tears at any moment. How can yeah. I stand in front of a group of people? Yeah. So 2020 was an interesting and I've got to say pretty bumpy year. Yeah. And, and I was kind of curious whether I would ever, I was kind of curious would I ever really work again? You know, I was feeling so, wow. um, so bumped around by it. And I think one of the things that I learned in that time, I had no, I had no place. So every year when I come home to Australia, I spend half my time with mum and dad and half my time with my sister and her husband and family. And so suddenly I was here and I wasn't going anywhere, mm. but I had no place. And during the first lockdown, I disappeared wow. up to mum and dad because they live out of Sydney. Mm. And I thought, here I am. The wrong side of, let's just say I'm a female, wrong side of 45, living with my parents. And, you know, I love mum and dad and we're super close, but it kind of didn't really feel like that was the appropriate thing to be doing. So I then said, and, you know, I was clearly overstaying my welcome with my sister and her husband. And so I thought, okay, I need to find somewhere to live. So a friend had an Airbnb and I moved into that. And I kind of looked around and went, oh, my God, is this what my life has become, this tiny Airbnb in the back of Potts Point? <laughs> and I think that I started – oh, sorry, that just beeped. I started to understand that environment and place is actually fundamental to thriving. If you go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and yeah. you go, it is a foundation. And I think I'd always underplayed it. And the turning point for me uh, was renting the apartment that I'm now renting. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was like self-soothing. It was like um, a balm of just to nurture my soul. Yeah. I mean, it sounds a bit melodramatic, but to walk into an apartment. So where I'm located, I've got a view of Elizabeth Bay, yeah. which is quintessentially Sydney. Mm -hmm. I see the sunrise come up over the water. Mm. And, you know, sunrises in Australia are different to anywhere else in the world. Yeah. It's like I think um, Julia Baird said it's like someone's thrown petrol 
onto their horizon. You know, it's so vibrant. And that wakes up, that gets up every, every sunrise and blasts into my bedroom. And I'm like, Mm. oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm in Australia. And I think that that sense of, um, feeling grounded in a place, being able to listen to the lap of the water, being able to see the sunrise, being able to see the sky that is nowhere, there's no sky like it. And I think that was probably the point where I went, wow, this is, this is no longer a have to. This is like, wow, I finally, I finally got back. And sure, I, I went through the process of a pandemic to get here. But now mm. I really do feel like, I really feel like I'm in the right place. Cool. Anna, um, as expected, as we talked about prior to this, um, you've given me three or four different strands we could go down there. <laughs> and thank you for that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back right to the start because let, let me get this right for, for, to help our listeners understand, you know, the premise of Freedom Fridays was from I have to to I choose to. And you were choosing to come back to Australia for a holiday that you normally do. Yep. But because of the circumstances of this global pandemic, you were kind of forced to choose to. Yes, absolutely. How did that feel? When did you, well, better question, when did you recognise that? And how did that feel? I think the the recognizing it was a have to. Yep. Um, was pretty much as soon as the borders were closed, mm-hmm. and I thought. Which was mid March time, wasn't it? Yeah, mid March. Um, and and to be fair, I had sort of had a few adventures planned in the southern hemisphere. Yeah. So my parents had their 60th wedding anniversary. So there's a whole lot of reasons that I was still here mid March. Right. But, you know, my plan was to be back by Easter, back in the UK by Easter. And I think that the borders, it's, fu- it's a funny thing. It's sometimes quite, um, it makes like life easy when that decision is taken away from you. Interesting. Yeah. And every time that crying on the plane is every time trying to make a decision about should I be here? And it was very binary. Should I be in the UK or should I be in Australia? And I kind of flip flopped backwards and forwards. So when that decision was taken away from me, and it was a, a have to. Yep. I was oddly, because I don't like being told what to do, but oddly, <laughs> I was relieved because I couldn't go back. So I didn't have to go through that ang- angst of yeah. where should I be? Should I be here? Should I be there? So suddenly it was taken away from me, and that was quite liberating, oddly enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I was in a place that I wasn't sure that I, I, I wasn't quite sure that I was in the right place. Yeah. So hence the needing to find an environment where I could start to feel settled. Yeah. Does that I'm make gonna, sense? It does. I'm going yeah. to come to the place question in a second. I, 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 yeah. I would like to discuss that with you. But the second thing, the second strand I'd like to pick up on is because I feel the same. How is it that people like you and I who've done, you know, hours and weeks and months of work on ourselves? Yeah. And we live in an environment, as you've described, the sunrise in Sydney, and there's been some spectacular sunrises this year, this winter. How can people like that, who, in comparison to billions of other people, yep. how can we still feel bumpy? How can we still feel fragile? How, how, is that, how is that possible? So when people outside of that environment look in, they kind of go, yeah, but you've got it made. So, yeah. Not invalidating that feeling, 
because I some I felt really wobbly sometimes, really fragile, even mm. as even as um, recently as this morning, for whatever mm. reason. So how how can you explain that? In given all of those external circumstances, there's still something going on that makes makes it feel bumpy for us. Uh, it's interesting. Someone said recently, and it wasn't. It was. I'm going to take you slightly off track, but I, I'll, I'll come back to it. So they were talking about. We're actually talking about the protest on the weekend. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not discussing politics, and so I'll kind of leave that one out of it. But this is not the podcast for that. <laughs> this is not the podcast for that. But I was I was trying to make sense of it in my own head because that that's what I was doing. And so I was talking to someone. And I said, "Look, help me try and make sense of." Of this, what what is the kernel? What is the drive? What is the motivator for these people to take to the streets? Hmm. And this person said, um, in a place of entitlement, even equality feels like oppression. Whoa! Say that again. So, in the place, so with equality. Mm-hmm. It occurs for people who are entitled, mm-hmm. equality occurs as oppression. Wow. And I sort of was thinking about it and I was thinking, I wonder, because I haven't seen the footage, but is that so when we are so free that someone, we have a situation where some of those liberties are taken away, mm-hmm. it feels like oppression and we respond to it so violently that we take to the streets it's an interesting take so it's an interesting take and um and and i kind of relate it back to the experience that you and i have had so not that we're white privileged and entitled well you know arguably we are but we've had this most extraordinary life and you know i was reflecting this morning on um, on storytelling and you know, I've got a whole lot of stories about, you know, when I walked across the dead, walked across the Jordan Desert from Petra to the Dead Sea. And, you know, when I was in New York, you know, all of these amazing life experiences, which currently I'm not able to participate in. And so for me, then there's a whole life that I'm not able to participate on in mm. and wonder whether I ever will again. Mm. So, yeah, sure, if you're sitting on the outside of that, you go white, privileged, entitled. Yep. But it, but it's more about, you know, I've created what I've created. And, yes, I, I was very lucky to be born into the family that I was born in and, and I've taken the opportunities and I've, I feel like I've made a lot of um, – I've made a lot of those opportunities. So then you go, um, uh, when, when that gets taken away, I kind of wonder, well, what's next? And so I, I think that's what makes me wobbly is the uncertainty of the future. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm incredibly, you know, I recognise how lucky I am to be where I am during this interesting time in human history. Mm. Um, and every now and again, you know, someone circulated the other day, you know, photographs of, you know, refugees sitting in cardboard yeah. boxes. Yeah. And you kind of go, yeah, what have I got to complain about? Yeah. But it kind of comes back to a broken leg still hurts. Yeah. And yeah, my broken leg is, you know, as painful as someone else's. But, you know, obviously... Um, I look at my circumstances and go, 
wow, you know, I am incredibly blessed. And I have this expression. Um, someone said to me, we've got to squeeze more out of life. Yeah. So what I, I have this expression whenever I see something that's beautiful or I become present to, um, th- there's a lot of spring flowers out at the moment. They're way mm. too early, don't they? Already, it's the middle yeah. of winter. But anytime I, I'm very conscious of beautiful smells and beautiful sights and every morning when I get up and see that sunrise, I go and squeeze because right. it's like a trigger to say, get present to how yeah. fantastic this is. And so I kind of try and make myself incredibly conscious and aware and of those moments. And, and I think that's sort of the balance. Um, and I, I, I so often just want to catch myself and like not step through this too quickly. And mm. at the moment in my, in my flat, I've got, um, John Quills in the bathroom. And I don't know if you know about the smell of jonquils, but it's just beautiful. And in my bedroom, I've got a beautiful candle that a friend gave me that smells of roses. So I can walk into my bedroom and it smells of roses. I can walk into my bathroom and it smells of um, jonquils. And then in my hall, I've got some lilies. Now, the lilies cost me, I don't know, $10, in, $5 in the supermarket. Yeah. But they're beautiful smell. Yeah. And so it's it's getting all of those things and just paying attention to it and being present to it. So is that a way through which you're squeezing more out of life? All of those sensory triggers to bring you back to the present? Yes, definitely. Okay. So those and are so things- that because because in this time, sorry to cut across you, Pete, but in this time, you know, I am acutely aware that I am going to wake up and go, oh my god, I'm seventy. How did I get here? <laughs> No, with any luck, right? That would yeah, be a privilege luck, yeah. to wake up yeah. and go, I'm 70. I just don't want to do it too, too early. Yeah. And, you know, there's this constant, and with, with lockdown, um, space and time, uh, that weird continuum that seems to have kind of got all out of whack. And I just want to make sure that I, moment by moment, it's not that I have to do more. In, in fact, sometimes it's doing less. Yeah. But the squeezing out of life is just being present to what is there. Yeah. You, you've given some really good examples, I think, from uh, a sense of smell. Uh, given that a lot of people would be would rely on their visual sense. Are there any mm. visual anchors that you use that bring you back to the present moment? Um, I think there is. Um, there was a lovely program on uh the radio at some point which was something weird like um exploring the wilds of your um neighborhood and and this guy was basically saying get get start to notice bugs and insects even if you're living in the inner city so i think there's uh visual cues for me and, you know, my, my, my first degree was in graphic design. So I think I am more visual than, than auditory. Mm. Um, and so what I'm always looking for is what is those, what are those little things? It's almost like, is that a, a frame that you can look through? So I have this, um, little walkway where I go down and get my car and there's a scrabbly bush of different plants. But I always take the time to look at, you know, what's, what's something I can notice on the way down. 
and and look for the the beauty in amongst this scrubbly bunch of yeah. things and and some amazing insects you know just incredible <laughs> little things that you see and you kind of go gosh how many how easy is it to rush past that stuff yeah um and not notice it and I think that I, as as a consequence of lockdown, I've been doing a walk around the botanic gardens. Oh, oh my goodness, what a beautiful, amazing, amazing place those botanical gardens are. And there's all sorts of plants and the guys that work in there do the most amazing job. Yeah. And to actually slow down, and I got caught in the rain there recently and I dived under cover because it was a big tree. And there's this thing down there. What What is it when they're half... Um, Half beast, half man with the horns, uh, half ram, minotaur, centaur. That's it. Anyway, there's one of those down there and he's got this really, he's like leaning back. He's got this really cheeky grin and it's in a really odd place in the botanic gardens, which you wouldn't normally see. And yeah. I thought to myself, I, the only reason I found it was because I ducked out of the rain and I thought, Oh, how fantastic is that? So I, I took a whole lot of photos. Now, what do I do with those photos? Probably nothing, but it's taking that just to capture that moment. And so now every day when I walk around, I make a detour to go and say hello to him and then I move on. Yeah. So it's sort of, it's not that the, it's not a visual trigger to get me somewhere, but it's paying attention to what is there and spending the time to appreciate all the sorts of different things. Which is lovely. And what happens then if someone's prone to forgetting? What, what what do you do? Is there anything that triggers the thought to pay more attention? Yeah, I, y- yes. Um, I think repetition of that tagline right. yep. and squeeze. Yeah, so there's no uh, substitute for just doing it again and again yeah. and again and again and again and yeah. then again and then again once more and then once yeah. again just fill up but then once more again and then again. And it's just, for me, it's about putting it into muscle, me- muscle memory. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a, there's a physicality thing as well. So, um, um, as sighing, this is, I hope you're going to edit this podcast a little bit, but it's that sense of going, <laughs> ah, right. And what you know is when you go, ah, it's like you can't be contracted. Yeah. So catching myself and going, Ah, and squeeze. So there's sort of a vocal, obviously, if anyone saw me in the street, they'd think I was completely loopy, but maybe that's true too. But there's a sense of can I create that trigger and the release of that. So, you know, build up of tension and then just go, ah, and squeeze. So I think there is about just having it in muscle memory and having it be a a deliberate practice. Yeah, there is something in that, isn't it? Because for most people, I think our felt experience would be when we sigh, uh, we just relax a bit more. Yeah, it goes a little bit beneath the, uh, you know, the neurological and the physiological aspect of our tension. It just drops it, it kind of like tense up a little bit, and then the sigh takes us a bit, yeah, a bit beneath. And just to illustrate that, Pete, I'm going to ask you: hold, clench your fist. Right, so clench it as hard, as tight as you can. Clench, yep. clench, 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 clench. Now let it go. Did you notice you were holding your breath? No, I didn't. So do it again. 
And then you let go. Yeah, I consciously focused on my breath that time. Yeah. But I didn't yeah. notice the first time. So typically what you find is often when we hold tension yep. in our body, we're holding our breath. Yeah. Yep. So when you sigh, that is, as you've just articulated, the release of that tension. And then you can start breathing more fluidly. So all of the work that people are doing around mindfulness yeah. and they're saying focus on your breathing, yeah. when you're breathing naturally and deeply and mindfully, you're not holding tension in your body. Yeah. And what we know is when we're holding tension, that's where we start making mistakes. That's where we say things that we don't want to say. That's where we get locked jaw. It's like all of this like constricted movement, constricted speech, constricted thoughts because yeah. we're holding our breath, we're holding tension. So if we focus on our breathing, that is going to get us more back into our bodies, um, more grounded, more centred, more able to deal with whatever the world throws at us. Yeah. And I think that um, the R is about just letting go of the physical tension and then you start to breathe. So it's a little bit of what comes first, the tension or the breathing. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't really matter whichever way you come in. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you come in as long as you repeat the process. Yeah. And, ca- you know, I catch myself. So I'm a great teeth grinder. I mean, I don't do it when I'm awake, but I do it when I'm asleep. And, you know, I catch myself. I could carry a huge amount of tension in my jaw. Wow. And just being able to put my attention to getting back into my body. And it just sounds like, you know, I've spent hundreds of, you know, <laughs> this is going to be grossly exaggerate. I spent a lot of time in the corporate world. And in my experience, what was valued was what was inside your head. Yes. And now I'm starting to spend more time, and part of it's been in lockdown, part of it's because I'm probably fitter than I've been for a long time, and I'm just much more in, you know, I can feel my body. And I know that's a very strange concept for someone who is listening to this, who exists more in their head. And for those of you that have been doing it forever, I apologise for stating the obvious. (laughs) But there is something about when a head person like me suddenly goes, wow, actually I can feel my body all the way down to my feet. Yeah. And I'm conscious of the chair that I'm now sitting in while I'm talking to you. I'm conscious of the, I'd love to say, the very elegant trousers I'm wearing, but actually <laughs> it's not. It's my sweatpants. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I can feel the fabric on my legs. Yeah. I've asked audiences or people I've been working with recently, I can't remember where I got this from, but I've asked them, do you, do you prefer to live in your head or in your body? And almost by definition, everyone has to answer the question in their head. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of ironic because yeah. everyone yeah. would accept that biologically our head is part of our body. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, right? Stating yeah. the obvious, but we, we've kind of separated them in somehow. And I wonder if, not to completely deny what's going on in our head, I wonder if this is a redressing or a rebalancing of being able to navigate both, being able to listen to both your head and your body. And that's uh, an, in- an intelligent, a physical and mental intelligent way of operating. Yes. And in my experience, if you have spent a lot of time in your head, as I have, uh, it's taken me a couple of, well, it's taken me a, a number of years to have the big Thor, I refer to it as, 
which is just to start to have my body be part of my awareness. Yeah. And I'm, incre- you know, I'm incredibly interested in making sense of stuff. Yeah. That happens in my head. Whereas now I'm starting to go, okay, if I can pay attention to that tension again, then I can go, oh, hang on a minute. What's that trying to tell me? Why, why am I suddenly, why is my heart rate suddenly started to really increase? What's going on here? What, 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 what am I picking up that is leading me to have a physiology, physiological response to this? And what can I learn from that? Because if I notice myself, sorry, I didn't just finish. If I notice myself getting tense, something's going on that I might not have yet worked out. And I sense as well that practically, practically is the wrong word, but for most people, it's not until their body is broken that they'll start to pay attention to it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And yet, it's like you said, if we pay attention to it, it's probably whispering to us all the time. Yeah. And sometimes those whispers, if we don't listen to them, turn into shouts. They do. (laughs) Absolutely do. And what I've enjoyed is mine... My body awareness, let's call it that, I'm sure there's probably this, a better somatic term for it, it has come through having this time over the last 18 months to get super fit. And, you know, I'm working with a personal trainer and I'm doing lots of walking and exercise and, and, and building my strength and my balance because, you know, strong bodies live longer. And so that has been a joyful experience yeah. And now it's given me so many different options. You know, someone says, oh, let's go for a game of tennis. I'm like, yeah, I'm up for that. Mm. But you've already had a 7K walk. doesn't matter. My body can deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been through the joy of that that's had me pay attention to my body versus waiting till it's broken and then paying attention to it. Yeah. So I think from that perspective, I'm super lucky. So I look back and go, okay, it was a wobbly 18 months. Yeah. And sure, I haven't yet built a client profile, a client pro- pipeline that I was hoping, but there's been some, there's been some silver lining. Yeah. Um, and I would, I want to do talk about some of the, the work that we do and how you, the sort of things that we can share with people that might help them through changes like this. But I do want to pick up on one strand that you, you offered right at the start. And I'll tell you why I'm going to pick it up. You talked about place. Mm-hmm. Um, my, one of my first trips to America uh, was predominantly a church camp. I didn't realize that. Um, and that's only relevant because they used to sing on a Sunday. Uh-huh. You get like uh-huh. 400 kids singing. It was beautiful. Um, two, two of the American lads that I got to know really well and one of my Scottish buddies, we, uh, we wrote a song and recorded it. Now, I can't sing. Right? I really can't sing. But I'm okay with lyrics. And so uh, we recorded, we wrote and recorded the song. One of the guys was a good guitarist and, you know, et cetera. Et cetera and it was called A Place. Uh-huh. And the first line was, so many people want a place, a place to call their own, a place to call their home. Yeah, right. And just when I hear the word place, I think it's got, it's got so many different levels to it. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about place, when you look inside, where do you go? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Where do I go when I look inside? I think 
I think I'd go to yeah it's it's funny I, I, I say say more ask more explain more about that question well, you, give me think, a, give think, me an example think, of where you go uh, well i'm I'm interested uh, I go to the past I ah. anchor myself in places um emotions places things I've experienced in the past when I want to feel more certain when I'm a little bit wobbly when I'm a little bit uncertain a little bit fragile a little bit emotional you know (laughs) we had uh partly because of what's been going on um i've got a list of movies that my kids must see throughout their life you know classics (laughs) braveheart you know schindler's list shawshank Mm. inception all that sort of stuff and one of them and i can feel it now rising my body is a field of dreams right the old kevin costner movie which is there's a few whispers in there but it's essentially about the relationship he has with his father. Yeah. Now, my dad died when I was 10. So that whole father-son relationship is a massive anchor for me. And I cried all the way through it. Yeah. All Beautiful. the way through it. <laughs> yeah. Because of that anchor. Even yeah. when my daughter suggested I was bubbling at the, 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 the movie cover because it has such a strong place for me. The anchoring yeah. of the importance of what I missed out on, how it's turned me into who I am. It's all wrapped up in this thing called place. And so maybe it's a definition, but that's where I go. And and, and in doing that, that sometimes helps me be more present. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. So there's a little bit for me too about place and people, right? So as I said, you know, I'm, I'm outrageously Australian, although I've spent, 25 years not living here and for me any time I was challenged by the things that I was doing um, I always had this sense of a really solid foundation which is my family in Australia Hmm. so um, any and I used to kind of joke so you know I was like in my early 20s selling software into FTSE 100s, like what with a plastic briefcase, and I always thought, well, you know, if, if I really, if I really mess this up, I can always go home. And home to me was, you know, my parents, and I'm very lucky that they're still both alive. And I know that it doesn't matter what I do, you know, my mother still has this beautiful collection of childhood pottery, and we made some. My sister and I made some really bad pots, but you know, to mum through her lens, you can do no wrong. So any anything that I make, and I am kind of like interested and creative, and so there's lots of different things I make, and if, if it needs a home, it always goes to mum because she's always going to appreciate it. So I think that that, as I said before, this sense of place being, being in this apartment, mm-hmm. the other sense of place is having my parents and that back up. So... I can be, I have a very interesting risk profile. I'm hugely adventurous. I'm hugely interested in taking risks, whether it's financial, whether it's whatever, because I've got them. And I know that if it all goes to clay or all turns to, then I can, I can go back. And that's that's really interesting because the reason I asked you about 
where do you look inside for place? It's partly because I'm exactly like you. My home, location-wise, is Edinburgh. Yes. Right, yeah. in Scotland. And the minute I touch down there, my nervous system settles because I'm – it feels like my nervous system – you know, was born and raised there. That's my home. Yeah. Um, it's not that I don't feel like Australia is my home because my home is often the people I'm surrounded with. And so yeah. the reason I asked you about the inside one is because as we certainly here in Australia right now go through lockdown, we can't go anywhere else external. Yeah. Yeah. Home. Yeah. We can't yeah. visit our relatives in the country, our rallies in in Queensland, or wherever. We just can't go anywhere. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Not having that, I wondered how else we can tap into that essence of home or place, but looking inside. Yes, yes. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And there is something about uh, what can I count on for myself? So, you know, can can you self-soothe? And I think this is a really interesting notion. What do people do to self-soothe? So unlike you, Pete, I'm not married with beautiful children. Um and so I'm in an apartment on my own. And, yes, I've got lovely friends that I'm walk, walking with and doing things. But what can I do when I close the door at night and, you know, face my own cooking yet again? <laughs> so feel free to send any food parcels. <laughs> but, you know, cooking is kind of not a self-soothing thing for me. Right. But what I, am, what I have got super clear about, is what is it that gives me a sense of, of that? And so for me, it's about walking. So hence my trips around the botanic gardens and appreciating all of the bits. So it's not walking for walking's sake, but it's walking for the visuals as well. And the wa- warmth on my back as I walk around, mm-hmm. around. So that, that's one thing. And also, so you ask your listeners to close their ears for a moment. The other thing I do is knit, right? So please paint a picture of what I look like. I don't look like a knitter, right? Okay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, there's very wonderful people in the world who do wonderful knitting. And, you know, I've got completely obsessed because why? Because it's about patterns and it's about a sense of achievement. So, you know, at the end of the evening, I can look at something, you know, and I knit small squares because I'm not that adventurous, but I've got a lot of small squares. And they're incredibly intricate and I use interesting Aaron patterns and things like that. Because at the end of the day, I can look at it and go, I have achieved something. Yes. And at some point, I'm going to sew these 50 squares together. And guess who's getting it for their birthday? Because <laughs> yes. um, she will appreciate it. Um, yes. so, that's, so for me, there's a sense of, you know, what does that take? And it's really interesting to pay attention. What I have found really interesting is to pay attention to what is it that soothes my nervous system? And what is it that, that calms that down? And sitting in front of endless uh, Netflix, this is not me, right? Yeah. Although I have, to be fair, I have watched my fair share this, this lockdown. But to actually <laughs> spend time creating something that actually I can look at so I get this little dopamine hit by the end of it because yeah. I've achieved something. Yeah. And, and there, there is something in the future which will be a gift for my mother yeah. My father keeps saying, please don't give me a rug. Um, 
but there is a joy that is going to be placed in the future. So for me, and, and look, I understand for many people it's cooking. That doesn't happen to be mine. Yeah. But, you know, and I, and I have taken on my family. I think they think it's funny, but they send me more and more complex jigsaw puzzles. Yeah. Not really painting a very good picture of myself, am I? But um, <laughs> these jigsaw puzzles are like, they're incredibly, um, they're beautiful because they're sort of, um, New South Wales Art Gallery, very yeah. complex, beautiful jigsaw. There is nothing like a little dopamine hit when you finally work out where that last piece goes. Yeah, or the four corners or the frame or that. Yeah, little, or the yeah. fact that you've just navigated through this amazing black mass of background yeah. that how could they possibly make sense of? Yeah. And so I think being increasing my awareness around what are the things that I need to soothe my nervous system yeah. For some people, it's having a long bath. For some, but, but it's like get get clear about what that is, yeah. and that in me getting clear about what it is, I can then take care of myself yeah. in this like really weird time. And it doesn't cost money. It's not about that. It's about yeah. what is going to gently soothe my system. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. I know that sounded like it stopped rather abruptly. That's because Anna and I kept on talking and we talked for longer than we expected. So I'm going to split the podcast into two. That's just part one. Tune in for next week to pick up the second half of our conversation. Cheers.